Welcome to Wireless Future. Uh, this is episode number 26 and my name is Eric Larsson. I'm here as always with my colleague Emil Björnsson. Hello Emil, how are you today? I'm great. So 26 episodes, that's amazing. That's quite amazing indeed. So when did we actually start this off? It's more than a year. I think it's almost a year and a half ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. <laughs> so we made some, some test recordings almost one and a half year ago before we started actually releasing things. I think we did indeed. I mean, but, you know, I mean, to our audience here, the, the, this podcast, indeed, it started almost, I think, or really as an experiment. And then after the first recording, we simply couldn't stop. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, in any case, um, great to be in the recording studio again. And um, the discussion that we had planned for today is on the topic of network slicing. Uh, yes. Before we kick that off, um, I'd like to revisit a comment that we got on the YouTube channel. So from time to time we get uh, comments, which we appreciate a lot. In fact, I find it rather mm. fun to engage when the audience engages with us and w- when we have a chance to engage with the audience. And um, this time there was, a, uh, in fact, a couple of comments that were very well articulated and I felt like we should probably address them uh, at some point. So why don't we start off with that? And, and the comments relate to um, the last episode i think uh yes, 25 uh, where we talked about uh, modeling yes and so here are the comments number one uh with respect to the question about modeling errors and papers then one thing we didn't mention but maybe should have is the block fading assumption um which is to say that the channel stays constant over some certain chunk of time and, and bandwidth and um, the commenter here states that well although this model is useful certainly one shouldn't forget that even with modest mobility and delay spread, the um, channel coefficients on the OFDM time frequency grid will vary substantially from one subcarrier to the next, and, and also over time, obviously. Uh, so that algorithms designed based on the block fading assumption uh, don't work well in practice. Um, and and um, a specific example of that is uh, channel estimation, of course. And this is certainly a very good point. I mean, you know, obviously, um, the channel response will vary from a subcarrier to the next and from one OFDM symbol to the next and so forth. Now, this block fading model is, I think it's fair to say, an immensely useful tool for capacity um, analysis and predictions and uh, for system optimization. So the assumption there is that we define a, a coherence block or coherence interval over which the, the channel remains substantially static. And um, inherent in that assumption is that we have a means for compensating for these variations from one subcarrier to the next, right? So that we sample the frequency response uh, often enough in the time domain and in the frequency domain to, to make this uh, interpolation possible. Uh, that, of course, shouldn't be. Uh, conflated with or confused with the use of a block fading assumption for algorithm design for channel estimation, for example. I mean, once we build actual algorithms that estimate a channel and perform the precoding and so forth, then we have to take these, we, we have to, inter- to actually implement the interpolation and, and take into account the fact that there are variations from one subcarrier to the next. But for performance prediction, um, this block fading model is still a highly useful tool. Uh, what would you say, Emil? Any additional insights on this point? No, I, I, I agree with what you were saying. And, and when it comes to, 
to variations in time, I mean, the only way of really improving on our channel estimates would be to send real pilots again and again. So if we are, are not really knowing a lot about the mobility, so we can predict things. But, the, mm. but then over the frequency domain, there's definitely opportunities to interpolate in more uh, advanced manners and actually utilizing that all of the subcarriers are sort of created from the same physical channels, and which is typically what is done in real system, I suppose. Right, of course. I mean, and in a way, I suspect there's a little risk here that some students of, let's say, applied information theory or, or, you know, if you read the typical, let's say, massive MIMO capacity analysis paper, there's a, there's a little risk that we're brainwashing <laughs> the, the students or readers to think that the channel is actually block fading, right? Which it isn't. All we're saying is that, well, by application of appropriate compensation algorithms for the purpose of capacity analysis, we can treat the channel as block fading, uh, and, and, and that's it. And, and then, of course, in, in, in a real practical implementation, you'd have to in, in implement some interpolation across frequency and maybe across time. Yeah. Um, so that's a good point. This is a second point made, uh, I think, by the same commenter on, on YouTube, uh, stating that I was somehow expecting that you would mention the 3GPP38.901 channel model, which is widely used in industry. And this is definitely not useful for pen and paper analysis, but it is the gold standard against which to evaluate algorithms that actually go into products. And that if more academic researchers would use this uh, model for evaluation, it might be easier for industry to, to, to adopt their algorithms. Um, yes, maybe. Uh, I mean, no doubt it's highly valuable to have a uh, gold standard common model that folks have agreed on and which bears presumably some resemblance to reality and evaluate performance against it. Um, even so, I think it's probably fair to say that, I mean, at, at least like serious, simpler academic models that are being used do capture the main physical phenomena to the first order, right? I mean, you know, we got path loss, we got shadow fading, we got Rayleigh or small scale fading, we might get like correlation of the fading and so on. And then exactly what specific detailed model is used to capture that is probably of less importance, like we discussed, was it last week? on, on, on um, Wireless Future 25, I think. Um, but I, I, I definitely can see a value of, in certain circumstances, using um, an agreed-upon model like this 3GPP38901. <laughs> um, I don't know whether, let's say, an increased use of that type of simulation models in academia would result in more algorithms being adopted in, in products and so forth. I'm not sure about that. Uh, it, it's possible, perhaps. But uh, what do you think, Emil? I think that there is an important point here is when it comes to that we shouldn't use more common models uh, to evaluate uh, algorithms in academia. And there is this tendency that everyone is presenting their own uh, system model or, or, or simulation model. And then you say, my algorithm is better than yours, but I didn't compare on the same uh, models that you were considering. So is this really a fair comparison? And if one then looks for what would be a good common model to consider in the simulations. Well, then this is definitely the gold 
standard when it comes to, to industry. So from that perspective, one could uh, have a common benchmark. Then there is, of course, this risk that we also talked about in last episode, that if you design algorithms particularly for this model, assuming that that one is the only one that will be considered, then we might be able to exploit special characteristics mm-hmm. in that uh, model that doesn't exist mm-hmm. in reality. Indeed, that's a big risk. I mean, you know, algorithm design should, we, we should be cautious not to make the algorithm design over-reliant on um, particular features that might appear in some model, be it the gold standard or not for performance evaluation. I mean, but the bottom line is that reality is so diverse, right? And depending on where you go and, and run your system or measure your your channel, let's say, behavior, you, you, might, you might see very different things. Yeah, um, all right. So this is the third um, remark made by the same uh, commenter on YouTube, and that concerns the uh, discussion point we had on, on generative models for channel modeling. And commenter states here, I also have some doubts, but I would say that a potential advantage could be that these models can capture effects humans can't, and that they are much easier to implement than the man-made 3GPP models. Anyone who has ever tried to implement them would probably agree. So uh, on this one, I have less intuition. Um, do you, Emil, have any insight? Yeah, I've been uh, definitely trying to read some of these documents just to create simulation environments that are maybe not compliant with the FreePP uh, uh, yeah, simulation models, but uh, are at least bearing some of its features. And those documents are incredibly complicated to, to, to follow. And I also uh, recently attended a, a workshop from people at MATLAB who was describing that they have an implementation and how difficult it was to just validate that their implementation was accurate, which we can suspect it is nowadays. But uh, yeah, it, it's hard to read the specs and be sure to implement the right thing because it's so complicatedly written. Yeah, yeah. Which speaks, I yeah, sure. Okay, maybe we should move on. <laughs> so um, in any case, uh, to reiterate, uh, we love to engage with the audience and appreciate a lot, of course, when we get well-articulated and substantial comments uh, like the ones here so um, to today's topic uh, network slicing Um, and I have to start off by saying that this is a topic of which I know very little if anything but you Emil uh, know a lot more so (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, what we're gonna do here is I'm gonna um, ask you things relating to network slicing and uh, we'll discuss around uh, that and those questions so Mm -hmm. so where do we we start What, what does this mean network slicing the term so the idea here is that you deploy one physical network infrastructure with base stations and core network and everything and then you use it to create multiple networks in a virtual fashion so that uh, people are accessed in different ways so you sort of instead of having multiple networks you have one network that slices its resources between multiple virtual networks so what does this mean more concretely then? i mean you said i think network equipment what does network equipment mean? Is that like a router or, or a 5G base station or, or uh, something else uh, in the... Because, I mean, there are the base stations, right? And then there's the, the whole core architecture behind it yes. or behind them. So it uh, involves all of these things. So so we have what we call the access part. These are the base stations. Uh, and that could both be a base station in a cellular network. And of course, you can also think about your Wi-Fi station at home. Then you have the transport network, which is sort of connecting your base stations to the rest of the world. 
So they could be fiber cables, other things that are connecting you to your telecom operator's core network, which is then the one that is connected to the internet and to different service providers uh, like a Netflix server or something like that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the base stations kind of share their resources among various different tasks and each task is associated with like a virtual network. Uh, is that a fair way of paraphrasing what the slicing means? Yes, and I think uh, one way of thinking about it is also to go back historically we have been deploying a lot of different physical networks. One for TV broadcasting, one to send out FM radio so you can listen to music in your car and one for uh, sort of telephony for example and the cellular networks and then we have seen this convergence where we start to use more and more things through the cellular networks. Uh, so, so all of this, the services are, are running through that network and mm. uh, um, yeah then that means that we could eventually perhaps turn off the other physical networks and only have one physical network where all the services are floating through that one. I see. So you're saying like using having using this one piece of infrastructure or physical infrastructure to provide a, a variety of different services that traditionally had been their own networks with their own uh, independently operating like base stations and so forth. Yeah, and think about it a bit like the, the transport networks are vehicles that we don't have different roads for different types of vehicles. We have, of course, a few different things. We have uh, roads for uh, for vehicles that are, you can drive it and you have trains. But uh, uh, yeah, we are sort of, we don't necessarily need to have a lot of different physical networks, even if we have different, different mm. services. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, tra- traditionally, I mean, I thought wi- for wireless networks, they have been, or at least traditionally, or, or, or at least, well, let's say in the last, I don't know, 20 years maybe, they've been packet switched, right, based on TCP IP type of architectures and designed to just deliver packets irrespective of the actual contents of these packets. Uh, so now the slicing, will, would that mean that we leave this paradigm in the future? or? How how is the say concept of packet switch data related to slicing to the extent it is? Hmm. So, so the, there are a few different ways of thinking about it. The, the simplest thing would be that uh, different telecom operators are just sharing the same base station. Uh, for example, in the countryside, maybe there's no need to, to deploy three different base stations covering the same area. But uh, uh, I think more generally, once you think about that, we might need different services. And just to take a very different uh, but telling example, the the post office services, uh, you can send your mail by just putting it in the mailbox and then you know that it will be delivered according to their best effort. You don't know exactly when it will be arriving, but if you don't care so much, it will be delivered. But then you could pay to get your envelope picked up uh, at your door and left at the receiver's door um, within a certain time frame or you can pay extra to have security so they check the ID so, so there are different types of delivery services for different type of packets and and think about then that the same thing would apply for different types of data packets so it could still be packets um, switched uh, over the network but there would be different parallel services delivered by the same entity Mm. So you're saying like that every time you ship off a packet, you'd also tell the network or the infrastructure then how urgent this packet is and um, 
whether it would have to be delivered with something like the analog of registered mail or urgent FedEx <laughs> Express exactly. or something. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So, so if we have, uh, we often talking about that we would like to have a quality of service in our networks. And uh, many times when people are just saying the word quality of service without defining it, it means uh, we would like to deliver things with a certain data rate, uh, certain bits per second. And uh, that, that is sort of the the only important metric but then uh, nowadays we are talking about a large number of different so-called kpis key performance indicators uh, and these are of course data rates but also things like latency reliability availability of the the service and yeah, energy efficiency security and different things so um, yeah one, one can see that uh, different devices require different mixes of these uh, performance indicators uh, being good in different ways. And also the same device might for different types of packets, uh, depending on their content, need a different mix of performance indicators. Mm. So, so, yeah. So back to the concept of slicing, I mean, so you're, you're explaining that slicing means that we have some piece of physical infrastructure. It could be like a base station tower. Um, and then we like partition its resources right into and thereby create like multiple virtual networks that exist in parallel so what is the real point of doing this i mean why don't we build one single network from the outset which is good at everything that we want to do yeah that's a good point indeed and it has to do with this large number of different performance indicators so uh, when you have multiple ways of measuring performance, there will be some kind of contradiction between them. So uh, one of our colleagues uh, at Ericsson uh, once t told me that, uh, uh, well, a duck could be the optimal animal because it can fly, it can swim, it can walk, uh, but you don't typically view a duck as being the, the best animal because it's not very quick at running or, or very good at, at uh, flying. So you would like essentially your network to be more like a... a uh, yeah, a Jaguar that is running very quickly uh, when it needs to do that, or it should be sort of a uh, some other kind of animal that is good at swimming when that is needed. So, uh, so you, but you don't want to have these multiple parallel physical networks. You would like the network at itself to reconfigure itself uh, so that it behaves in these different manners depending on what service you like to deliver. Uh, for a particular customer. I see, I see. So is there a connection here? I mean, there's another term that I haven't been, or that I wasn't sure about, network function virtualization. Uh, is there a connection to that here? Or is it the same thing, really, as network slicing? So uh, this is one of the enablers uh, of uh, being able to have this kind of flexibility of changing your behavior depending on what the uh, customers are asking for and this also together with what we call cloud ran cloud radio access networks so uh, the core idea is that uh, instead of having uh, the base station that have its own computing resources next to it that is designed with dedicated hardware to only being able to do one task but do it very well then uh, you are instead virtualizing uh, all of the, the computations in a, a general purpose kind of uh, data centers that could be still be close to the base station, but uh, it, you sort of break down the kind of 
computational tasks that needs to be done in order to to implement your network into different pieces that you can run at different types of hardware. And that gives you then the flexibility of saying that, well, if we have a lot of traffic of this kind for the moment, we could let a, a large portion of our computational resources carry out the, the network functions that are needed to enable that service. And then if we are switching that we need a lot of other service, we can virtualize that. So we are essentially making sure that we can reconfigure what kind of hardware resource we're having because we, we don't we are not limited by exact uh, ASIC implementation of something but we are virtualizing things as much as possible and we can scale scale different services up and down we are also essentially pooling the resources between neighboring base stations usually in this cloud run infrastructure so that they uh, they it shouldn't be in a situation where one have a lot of computational resources that no one else can use you're sharing mm. yeah so is it a little bit like i mean so you have all this infrastructure and then it's reconfigurable so that if somebody buys a megahertz of spectrum license somewhere then you just instruct the network that look i have this megahertz of spectrum and could you please just reconfigure yourself and start up a little virtual network in this spectrum slice and I want these and these KPIs and these and they, those say performance requirements and then the network would just reconfigure itself and offer that service and that band that you had bought. Yes, that is one possibility. So I think we talked briefly in episode 24 about private 5G networks. So uh, if you would get your own license uh, to use some spectrum in your building, your enterprise area, then instead of deploying all the network infrastructure yourself, you could essentially contact an existing 5G network around you and say, look, can I piggyback on your hardware? And you can virtualize my network, even if you don't have your own Spectrum license. No, no, I mean, I'm just trying to understand the use cases here. But the one that I sketched seems to be like a legit one then, right? That you you have bought, say, a license for, for some Spectrum, which could be intended for you know, as you suggested, use for a private 5G network in, in a building or some limited geographical area. And then you just tell the physical infrastructure that, look, reconfigure yourself to offer now this specific service in the spectrum that I bought. Um, yeah. And this is shaking up a lot of the business models. We have been used to wanting telecom operators to uh, to compete. So we, we might have three, four different uh, networks, physical networks in every country, and then there might be some additional virtual uh, operators that are using their networks. So that's also like one starting point of this. But uh, then if the base station hardware are able to uh, transmit the signals for all of these or multiple of these operators and networks why not uh, use the same physical hardware and then just separate things to software and then in the same way if you you have your own 20 megahertz for your local area why not let the base station that is uh, able to handle the, the same spectrum deal with that for you right i see so uh, maybe getting back to like different terminology that I never been sure about then we did talk about network slicing is like the main term we talked about network function virtualization there's another term uh, which pops up now and then I think in this context and that is orchestration network orchestration what does this really mean yeah, this is a popular term that a lot of people who are in this business are using all the time without really defining it, just 
yeah, viewing it as everyone is knowing already what it means. But uh, I would say that it means that when you have this possibility of reconfiguring everything in the software, you need to have this extra layer that we call the orchestration layer that is controlling how should we split up, how should we slice our resources for the moment, and uh, yeah, what are the needs, and um, yeah, if you now can virtualize the computation, where should you put p computation and things like this. So it's, it's really a way of, of controlling it, and if you are then signing specific so-called service level agreement with some enterprise that would like to buy a certain slice of you, for example, in a local area like that, then you uh, it will con uh, contain some constraints on what service they are paying for, and then this orchestration layer should be sure to uh, all the time deliver the service that you need. Then exactly how you do it, what computational resource are utilized, that might not be specified, then you, you have all the flexibility in the world, but uh, uh, yeah, you need this layer to control the whole thing, to orchestrate it. Mm. Yeah, so orchestration in short, I mean, really that means some kind of controller that allocates computational and other resources across all the infrastructure. Um, and make sure that things just fall in place and work together. Hmm. So I, I don't know, maybe we're going around the topic a little bit here, but uh, we did talk about applications of network slices uh, or network slicing. And one was, I think what I somewhat perhaps naively suggested that, you know, you get your hands on a license for Spectrum and then you want to start off some private little network there and rather than buying your own base stations you could then just rely on existing uh, towers and infrastructure and just ask them to reconfigure and offer you uh, some particular kind of service in this little band that you bought. Uh, what other, if any, I mean applications are there out there of slicing? So there is a large flexibility and designing slices in the way you like. Uh, so when people were talking about uh, 5G and how to develop it, there were particular free use cases that uh, one was talking about all the time. It was enhanced mobile broadband, which is essentially this first slice that we already have seen. Uh, and then there was ultra-reliable low-latency communication, particular then for some services that requires not maybe so high data rates, but it should be super reliable and the latency should be below. And then there is the uh, sort of um, yeah, massive Internet of Things kind of uh, devices that should be very energy efficient, uh, for example. And we have already seen this narrowband IoT kind of versions of 4G, for example. So, so that would be essentially one such early slice implementation. But uh, you can think about other configurations. So uh, right now, if you look at uh, websites for, uh, for some of the companies in this uh, business area, they are talking about uh, uh, different types of IoT from critical IoT to, to massive IoT. So. Uh, Essentially, you can choose whatever service uh, requirements that you want and, and try to get someone to deliver that for you. Mm. So when these services are defined, like for example, you, I think you suggested earlier that one could set up a small private 5G network in uh, on some property or in, uh, even in the building um, and use network slicing to accomplish that. So rather than be buying your own access points or, or, or base stations, you just rely on infrastructure, which is already available out there. 
that sounds to me like a solution which is like geographically local or confined, right? Um, to well, the property that you own, or the, the, the at least the area where you, your license is is valid. Uh, but could networks slicing also be used on, on a larger geographical scale, like over over an entire country or, or, or even a continent? Or would there be some use cases for that? Yes. Uh, so if you do it in a local area, then if you require very specific type of, of requirements and things, then you can definitely de- deploy some extra physical infrastructure to enable that your, your slice is possible. If you do it over a larger scale, uh, then uh, that could be, for example, if you are going to use the 5G networks for connected vehicles, for example, uh, then you will need it to, to work over a, a larger scale. And then you, it might become more of a static kind of slice that is enabling yeah, yeah, 5G uh, connected vehicles to talk to each other or get information from the network. So uh, you might have less flexibility to change things on the local scale if it should be the same over the, a large geographical area. But uh, yes, uh, I think one of the, the, the core thing here is that we are believing that the 5G networks will be so capable that for a single user we have just have so much more capabilities than the single usable request so that's why we can sort of afford reconfiguring ourselves and maybe be less efficient mm. but still deliver services mm. yeah so I, I i mean i would imagine that all this slicing also requires a lot of coordination among the infrastructure it's one thing if you have a single like base station or access point and you decide to slice your spectrum and offer different kinds of services in each slice maybe different customers and different operators even that own the ser- or provide the services but now if you do this like over a, a large area or even nationwide I'd imagine that that would require a lot of coordination among the or within the infrastructure and also it seems to me that at some point the slicing won't be meaningful any longer. I mean, there's got to be a cost of slicing, right? And the more you slice, the thinner slices that you like slice up, the uh, less each slice will be able to offer and the higher will be the cost of all this coordination and, and orchestration. Uh, is that so? And do you have any like feeling for where does this, when do we reach that point? Um, here is this really efficient in the end I mean so you're definitely right that if there would be one particular uh, performance indicator that is the the most uh, important one then starting to to slice your network and optimize other metrics of course in terms of that original metric it will be worse Uh, and uh, uh, yeah so you are sacrificing something particularly if you have static slices you are sacrificing uh, flexibility so there is a hope that you can change that back and forth to gain something back by being flexible increase uh, or decrease the sizes of slices depending on the, the needs but but then i think one should also bear in mind that uh, the physical infrastructure doesn't need to be a fixed uh, amount of it so when you add new slices and you realize that oh it's we can't really deliver these services uh, or we start to get unreliability issues well then we, we might have to deploy new infrastructure to be able to to add this slice to our network mm. 
Yeah, I see. Okay. Hmm. So one thing I'd like to return to is a point you made earlier that uh, with slicing, you could offer like different packets in the network, different treatment, right? So that some packets could carry a stamp that they are urgent and some packets could carry a stamp that they aren't so urgent, but maybe they are, I don't know, big or (laughs) need to be conveyed with some particular privacy or security requirements. So doesn't this like fundamentally contradict a bit the uh, there is this in the European Union there is this net neutrality directive which to my understanding states that when you provide a broadband or internet service then you can't discriminate between different types of of traffic you you've got to treat all types of traffic equally isn't there like a bit of a there seems to be a bit of an apparent contradiction there is that something you could maybe Mm -hmm. comment on yeah so so i think this is an important point to bring up and uh, one of the successes of the internet have also been what we call the end-to-end principle where it's about delivering package without caring about their content and try to do that in a best effort manner and we often hear that that is the reason why it works, that we didn't try to put too many restrictions on things. But um, if you look at these uh, neutrality laws, uh, then what they are are saying is that we should uh, deliver basic services to everyone uh, uh, in a manner that is enough for for everyday use cases. And we shouldn't restrict people uh, too much based on how much they can pay uh, for uh, the services, but everyone should have access to the internet. Uh, But there is still a possibility that is also allowed to charge extra for premium services. Uh, or specialized services for different situations. And this is really what what, um, uh, this is about, uh, to uh, still have conventional internet access. Maybe that is the the mobile broadband, but then have these extra services that enterprises could buy. And uh, so in the short term, this is not a problem when it comes to net neutrality. Then one can definitely see a threat in the long run if these premium services start to be... uh, something that everyone wants so suppose in a few years from now people will start to use uh, uh, some augmented reality glasses and uh, in the beginning uh, you have to pay a lot for the glasses and for the special connectivity but then progressively it becomes mainstream everyone wants it uh, and if you still then need to pay for a specialized service for it then the network neutrality might be more of an issue that uh, only some people have access to this new brand world of augmented Mm. reality and not everyone else. So that's definitely uh, a long-term issue to keep your eye on. That's the distinction, yeah. Hmm. Okay. Um, Is there a connection to spectrum sharing here? I mean, because it seems to me that network slicing is mainly about using or, or sharing infrastructure right for multiple purposes or, or at least multiple like virtual networks is there any connection to spectrum sharing at all here or is that an entirely like separate um, thing are you thinking about it like a cognitive radio yeah type? in that mm. sense i mean that the term was used when say cognitive radio was uh hot <laughs> maybe 10 15 i don't know <laughs> years ago even longer i think it is primarily the idea that someone 
owns the, the spectrum uh, and is the only one allowed to utilize it. But then uh, what infrastructure is used to generate the signals, uh, that is then what is the, uh, determined in, in different mm. manners. So, so the it's slicing, re- yeah, the, the, I mean, what you're saying is that the network slicing is really mainly about how to use how to split the infrastructure functionality um, and permit service service of the different virtual networks but whoever owns a piece of spectrum just owns it and yes i think that is still uh, for the time being the, the enabler of uh, being able to deliver um, yeah services with some quality of service constraints that you can guarantee right yeah hmm. okay uh that's been interesting and uh, i don't know is there anything else that you feel is important to convey here that we haven't covered um emil's as a question i was sitting on is like what are the, the the research problems here right i mean especially for for someone like well you've been deep into mimo for many years and um you know for someone like let's say us who have been um interested in mainly perhaps physical and Mac layer aspects of wireless, but um, in any case, what what are the research problems really here um, to the extent there are any in that domain? Do you have any like insights on that or, or is network slicing mainly a matter of making the electronics flexible enough and the software ad- flexible enough to to enable this splitting of physical resources into several parallel networks so i think that a large portion of this technology will not be standardized we usually standardize this kind of skeleton of what kind of signals to pass around to make all the devices being able to talk to each other but then they can still reconfigure themselves and how now they should reconfigure a lot of the features and select how to behave from some maybe standardized lists. So the, a lot of the research here would be connected to how to design these orchestration layers and how to design other types of resource allocation features. And a buzzword that is often used is end-to-end uh, network slicing, where you you want the, uh, to really create parallel virtual networks uh, with the access being different and uh, you're using the same transport layers, but you are sort of creating virtual different pipes within it and the core networks is split it up and, and maybe uh, some uh, pieces of this uh, have some special constraints so one enterprise don't want their data to leave them uh, then they have a special server that only they are using and uh, and to to solve different kinds of resource allocation problems uh, related to, to orchestration and, and figuring out how should we uh, split things up for the moment to deliver on the service constraints that we're having uh, right, that but is... when you when you say split things up you mean really like within the say infrastructure i mean be, be the base station um say um there'll be certain hardware that does computations right i mean the span from f- the physical layer up to well a f- few layers up and how to really split them and, and share them um across this 
different networks. I think that you wouldn't go deeper than that. I mean, it's like if you have a, a MIMO array, say with you know, 100 antennas or something, it's not like you would suddenly split and say, well, the first 10 antennas go to the first network and the next 10 antennas goes to the second virtual network and so on. Um, or is that even a meaningful line of thought? Or is this mainly a matter of like organizing the software and the computations and the, the scheduling of all the data processing that has to go into the base station? I think you're all right. The physical layer will be operated in the usual way, but when solving scheduling and resource allocation problems, we will now have many slices with different objectives and constraints, which makes them much more complicated to solve. So that is a big research challenge. So it would more be, okay, you have all this network function needs to be computed. They have different latency requirements. At what server should we place them? Uh, and in which order should we compute things uh, so that we can make sure that um, uh, everything is... Um, is being uh, computed and satisfy their service requirements. Uh, then one can definitely bring in general uh, efficiency uh, concerns, like things when it, when it comes to energy efficiency uh, in low traffic situations, uh, when you have an abundance of um, computation resources, how should we pull things together so we can turn off things so we don't need to use certain transmote uh, uh, yeah, cables and, and things like that. Right. And for the purpose of saving energy, I suppose, I mean, that also be, it'd be highly useful to turn off things that you don't need for the moment. And uh, it seems like an interesting problem to address how that would interplay with this orchestration. And in the end, I mean, it all comes down to deciding which little component or piece of hardware and maybe software does what at what point in time, right? Mm, yeah, so, so it's a bit like solving conventional resource allocation problem, but with a lot of uh, mo uh, new constraints and maybe then also services with different metrics. So we don't have just one metrics become some kind of multi-objective optimization problems. Right. Wow. All right. Um, I think it might be time to yeah. close up or uh, I think I, I have one more uh, <laughs> thing that we, we could um, talk about it and, and this is really what is it that is driving this kind of trend here uh, why yeah, are we talking about net, network uh, uh, slicing now because I, I think one symptom of, of this whole thing is that when people uh, start to get in first 5g phones uh, i could see people in in tv commentators saying yeah now there is a new iphone 5g enabled but this isn't really 5G, this is just, um, yeah, a little bit faster perhaps, but 5G is really about this ultra-reliability or uh, the massive IoT kind of things. And I think this is a symptom of the fact that there have been a lot of marketing efforts around that 5G will support network slicing. And uh, the reason for that, I believe, is that uh, this is sort of a stagnating market economically, People have their mobile phone, they have their subscriptions, they don't want to pay more every month, but they want to have a progressively better service. And 
when you uh, people are paying for new things it's all uh, often this over the top services like uh, yeah people are home in the pandemic so let's get uh, both a netflix and a disney plus and an hbo subscription so you're paying for the data that uh, is delivered uh, certain services but not to the telecom operators so what can the telecom operators do in order to make more money well create new services and why would then anyone would like to, to pay for those new services? Well, I think that is uh, two main reasons. One is that businesses like to outsource things that are not the core business. So instead of uh, having expertise that is uh, having their own Wi-Fi network or something like that uh, on their premises, if they can just buy that services from the nearby 5G network and maybe put up some extra equipment inside the building, well, then that would be a good way of not having to uh, control your own network, but still sign an agreement where you are delivered the service you have today and potentially more. Uh, and then there will be very demanding use cases. It could be um, like a stadium, it could be a factory that should be automated so you want to get rid of cabling and connect everything wirelessly, or it could be an airport where you have this mix of services. So to take the stadium as an example, uh, you might have a lot of cameras in the future that is filming everything from different angles. And then you have a lot of uh, like 100,000 people in, in the audience who uh, might want to, to watch some extra information in their phones or in their augmented reality glasses. And then it's incredibly important that the camera is functional all the time because it's their information that would be spread to other places. So they might need ultra high reliability. But then for, for different users, you might be able to sacrifice them or deliver things in a more best effort uh, way there. So uh, yeah, there seems to be convincing cases for this actually happening economically. And and companies like Ericsson are saying that it might be a 700 billion US dollar market for uh, this kind of network slicing extra services uh, in 2030. So uh, it's really wow, that's a lot. Driven I mean, here. 700 yeah. billion worldwide. If you divide by 7 billion people, that's like $100, right? So, um, hmm. uh, so uh, this is a development that is really uh, the reason why 5G is sometimes said to be about enterprises. It's not only about enterprises, consumers will also want this, but there is this hope that 5G will really create new revenue streams uh, from enterprises. Mm-hmm. Mm. So it seems then, I mean, in light of what you just said, that network slicing, although it obviously requires the development of a lot of new technology, but it's really in a way driven by new business models. Uh, for example, this possibility of, or at least, or, well, yeah, possibility of, again, buying a piece of spectrum and then just telling some infrastructure provider that please set up a network in this slice of spectrum and run it for me yeah exactly and uh, and then when you uh, you are signing the agreement with them then you might be using partially your existing network uh, infrastructure partially you might realize okay i need to put up some indoor base stations in their premises or they are very protective on their uh, data so i need to have a uh, an a cloud computing service uh, server that is inside their premises as well. But you sort of still piggyback on some of the existing infrastructure and then you're saving costs in different manners. Right. So it's like the contract might specify some KPIs, like, well, this is the data rate and coverage and reliability and so forth that I want. And then 
well to get this you know you can rely on this and that and that tower which is out here but you'll also have to install a couple of small base stations on your property yourself and we are going to make sure that all this happens and orchestrate all these pieces of equipment together and there's nothing really you need to worry about more than paying the bill yeah exactly that is the, <laughs> the hope <laughs> wow all right yeah um uh, great emil thanks a lot it's been a very educational discussion i think and i learned a lot and maybe it's time to close up here so um, yeah with that I, um i think we will maybe return to to some of these specific uh, use cases in the future episodes as well so if you have some particular request uh, please write a comment about it and we uh, mm-hmm. that will guide us also in maybe future guests that we can invite to discuss on some of these topics Absolutely. So with that, bye-bye, Emil, and bye-bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you.